Welcome to Blind Love Radio. I'm your host, Anna Rosen. Enjoy these heartfelt conversations having to do with creativity, transformation, and the divine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. How you been? How you doing? Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Today, I have a really fun guest on the podcast. You guys know them. You love them. Karina Rosella from Rise Up Good Witch is talking to me today, and you guys are going to get to eavesdrop on this conversation, which was so fun. We talked all about them being an herbalist and how they became one. They're a tarot reader, so we talked about a bunch of different tarot cards. We talked about them growing up in California and moving from the forest to the desert in Joshua Tree. And there were so many fun little lanes that we went down with this conversation. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. I hope you enjoy the lovely Karina. I'll see you guys on the other side. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Karina. I have a small apothecary and tarot business and podcast called Rise Up Good Witch. Love it. So you're an herbalist, right? I am a folk herbalist slash plant witch. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, how did you get into it? Totally. So I think like I've always been interested in plants on kind of like a peripheral level. Um, I never was in interested really in an academic way. I didn't study botany. I didn't um, really have like a, um, I don't know how to explain it. It was more like something that was just ingrained in me because my dad is a gardener and comes from like a long line of gardeners and he did migrant work when he was younger um so I was like raised in a small town and we had a big garden and um I was always around plants because of that but I also really didn't feel super connected to like the natural world when I was younger being from a small town I really wanted to be in an urban area I really wanted to connect more with people Mm -hmm. and um it was like a conservative small town and I felt really trapped there so I feel like I got back into to gardening when I started learning about urban farming when I lived in Portland Oregon and uh also just about like food systems and uh the way that uh, free trade, quote unquote, uh, imposed by the, the so-called United States has really um, created a lot of harm and oppression for Latin American countries. And just learning about like how food systems and plant medicine can be like revolutionary. Um, and that kind of, you know, through my like political work, I started thinking a lot about plants and then getting to know plants um, Starting my first garden in Portland, I lived in a punk house and I found like a lemon balm bush and started using it. And then um, soon after, moved back to my small town to do some community service work with at-risk youth 
and in my free time decided to start immersing myself in herbalism and mostly at that point I was interested in reproductive health and um, like herbal abortion and herbal birth control so I was really interested in that but I also felt uh, at that point because I was kind of like you know I had gone to college and I had this trajectory to do like human rights social service work in a community-based kind of platform but I didn't see that intersection between plant medicine this is like 12 years ago so I was like well I'm just going to keep like learning about herbs in my free time I'm not going to invest in going to herb school I'm not going to like make take that as, as a career path um and I ended up like traveling a lot and like doing woofing in other countries and learning about systems of agriculture all kind of like with this like like apocalyptic framework of like okay so we know climate change is coming and we know the end of days is coming in a lot of ways so how do i use uh, plant medicine and work with the earth to mitigate that and um yeah i mean i could keep going on but i'm not gonna it's been a long journey (laughs) but i basically started my apothecary uh, maybe like two about two years ago i'd say and it was really informal it was just like i had for the first time since that time when I had that small garden um, that I was doing uh, growing medicinal herbs for like reproductive health, for the first time since then, like to almost 10 years later, I had my own yard again. My life had been very transient and it tends to be very transient. So I had my own yard and I had a stable place to live and I started a huge medicinal herb garden of like 35, 40 plants. And again, like I don't have a background in herbalism. Like I didn't go to herb school. I just started like working with the plants as my way of self-care because I was doing some, you know, I was back in like human services and um, working in harm reduction, HIV prevention, and doing a lot of work in community organizing against police uh, violence and against the unhoused population and um, again, organizing against ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement. So I was like really into my garden and um, I started just like tincturing stuff because I was like, I have so many plants, I don't know what to do and like giving them away. And then a lot of people in my life started encouraging me to sell what I was making. And then I started a Instagram page. I decided to call it Rise Up Good Witch and it just kind of like became my job. Oh my God, there's so much there to, to I know. talk about. I really try to be concise, I swear. <laughs> no, I love, I love the open-ended um, flow of it. So I kind of want to like go back to that like one lemon balm plant that I feel like started it all in mm-hmm. the, was it in the punk house? Um, yeah. So like what, what did you end up using that for? I mean, I have talked about this, like, on, before, you know, as, like, folks are familiar with my work, and they've, like, heard me, my po- my podcast, and, like, me on other podcasts, I feel like it always comes back, like, people always want me to talk about this lemon, and I actually have a blog about it on my website, about this lemon <laughs> ball bush. Um, but I didn't, you know, I grew up in a family that was, like, very focused on Western medicine. I was a youth in the 90s, and that was, like, the time of, like, medicating your kids at age nine. And both my brother and I were, like, medicated very, very early for different things. Um, And I just had 
a lot of like distrust of like herbalism because I come from this like it's a really where I'm from it's like a very small conservative town but it also has like a huge community of like hippies and new age people um and I think this is where I get my framework about like distrusting hippies and new age people because I think that they're like a lot of times politically a lot more conservative than they like to think they are um because I've lived that experience just like growing up in that environment so my association a lot of times with herbalism was like gaslighting and spiritual bypassing which are words that I only now know but just like these are people who blame people for their physical conditions they're fat phobic they have racist and white supremacist undertones and what they think like I just felt like people that are interested in plant medicine it's because they are like problematic in so many ways so I steered clear of it until I started you know living in this punk house hanging out with these like queer punks who were really into plant medicine and tarot actually um and then I was like oh okay cool so there's this like other perspective on it there's this like apocalyptic anarchist um perspective that also acknowledges trauma that also acknowledges like grief from structural oppression um and I had one friend a roommate who like I still am in contact with who talked to me about that plant because I was like there's this plant and it smells like lemon and we like cut some of it and we made like some tea out of it and we just like you know would have it in bundles and smell it you know Uh, and lavender also it would be like oh I'm drinking all this beer and it's like summer in Portland which isn't that bad but I mean there's you know it gets to be like a hundred like I was a bike commuter like riding my bike drinking beer not water so like lots (laughs) of headaches yeah and lemon balm and and lavender were like my go-to um and then I remember I grew basil which now I'm thinking like that's so amazing because basil is really hard to grow you need like a lot of sun but I had like um a little garden in Portland with where I had like just like greens and basil um but yeah so it started off like healing yourself kind of yeah totally that's beautiful um and it just seems like they kind of like spoke to you and taught you instead of like seeking the knowledge like outside of yourself through like a formal structure um it just feels like a very organic way that you started learning from them which is really neat yeah definitely i feel i feel that it wasn't you know it's it's like i would i'm actually right now in like a herbalism class Um, And it's, like, the first structured herbalism class with homework I've ever taken in my life, which is funny because I, like, have an apothecary, which is part of my livelihood now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, like, the first time I'm in, like, a structured class. But, again, like, I don't, you know, I'm very skeptical of people who are, like, into healing work with no social context. And that's what I felt was accessible to me for a long time when it came to, like, learning about plant medicine. So... I kind of now have like a, uh, a different type of, um, I, I have kind of like my opinion about, um, people being like, I taught myself something is a little bit different as I get older, because I think we never only teach ourselves something. We're always like drawing from collective and to say that we teach ourselves something is like super individualistic. 
Yeah. Um, and that's problem, you know, that's part of like the, the very fractured capitalistic, uh, colonial world that we live in is to be very individualistic. So I hate to say that I taught myself, um, but again, I'm like a double Capricorn. I like really struggle with that individualistic thinking. Um, so I, that's like something that I'm working on. Um, so what do you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like being a double Capricorn, like, what do you mean by it being individualistic? Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I was talking to my mom the other day about this and she was saying like, we were talking about trees and forests because I'm from Humboldt County, the, where the Redwoods are. And I live in Joshua Tree now. So I think about it like, oh my God, I, I, I live, um, and I, I go up to, you know, I was up in Humboldt County in, last month and I'm hoping to go next month because my dad is still a gardener and I'm talking to him a lot about like growing herbal plants. And I planted a bunch there and he's like calling me and t- asking me about like if he's doing stuff right and stuff. So that's how I'm making a lot of my medicine is through those plants. Um, but, uh, I was talking, we were talking about how like forests have, and I don't know that much about this, but I know that forests have innate communication. Trees have ways of communicating. Plants have ways of communicating. And it's almost like, you know, insects do like ants, like ants, cockroaches, like living beings have systems in which they work together. And I believe that things like globalization and colonization, absolutely at the very root of it have um, created systems where we're all individualistic, whereas like actually human beings are all the same. Like we're all the same way. We're all in collective. Like we're absolutely all in collective. Um, And yet because of the world we live in, like this toxic capitalism and profit driven um, people have completely separated themselves from that. And that's something that like I I become more aware of like each year of my life. But because I have like my chart is very... (laughs) My chart is basically like I could have been like the next fascist dictator. Basically, <laughs> it's like the joke that I have with people because yeah, I have a Capricorn moon and a sun. I have like a Pluto in the first house. I have my North Node in in the tenth house. Um, it's just like Saturn in the first house um, uh, conjunct ascendant. So it's like there's like a lot of stuff for me that's like really. Um, I'm like a control freak and I'm also, I'm naturally pretty individualistic, I think, but I also like for me connecting with other people, like in on an intellectual way, it's like easier, but like intimacy is not like a thing that I do really. And, um, I think like those kinds of things makes it really easy for me to fall into the patterns of like this toxic kind of like everybody's got to step on each other to like get by type of world. Yeah, I have a lot of Capricorn. I'm a Capricorn mm-hmm. sun. I have a stelium in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally relate. I heard somebody say, like, Capricorns are very good at compartmentalizing, which I really, I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with this. Like, we are very easily to single ourselves out and feel like we need to go at it alone and I really feel like the antidote for me has been community like bringing like I love what you say with like tying it in um with a message or like why you're doing this healing work right because if you're not like doing it to help somebody then you're just like focusing on yourself 
and it's just self-promotion and that like that more problematic like lower vibe of Capricorn of like like being chained to this system that's only perpetuating um like harm and greed and self-fulfillment rather than like why are we doing this can we be can we choose a mountain to climb that's like for not only ourselves but to lift others up um so I love that that was a great thought yeah absolutely and I've been like in a lot of my work lately has been like reframing the Capricorn archetype because yeah we correspond with the double card so, you know, that's not like warm and fuzzy in any way, shape or form to like be have that association. Um, but I do think like if you have like a Capricorn that's done the work on themselves, which we I think are very capable of doing, I think there's like a transformative component component to being a Capricorn. Like, you know, we have the amazing ability to create structures and see things through and we're very loyal, you know, like we're very mm-hmm. committed when we become um, invested in something. Um, but it's just like, yeah, we have to have like a bigger collective understanding and like pull that energy in the right way. Um, so yeah, like my, my most recent podcast, I talked about like Capricorn moons because we had the, uh, full moon in Capricorn this month and I have a, a Capricorn moon as well. Um, and just like the idea of like, I think that Capricorn moons are like the ultimate reparenting because it's like, if your, you know, inner child is, like, behind the wheel, like, and, or, like, you know, Pluto's, you know, acting up, and, like, you're, like, you know, running on your triggers and your trauma, like, Capricorn Moon is going to come in and be, like, okay, I'm going to make you food, I'm going to give you some tea, we're going to talk it out, we're going to create a plan, and we're going to get back on track. It's, like, a caregiver, I think. Yeah, in such a practical way. My husband has a Capricorn moon. And I Mm -hmm. feel like so many times, I always joke that, like, if I want to show him that I love him, I'll do the most responsible thing that I can think of in the moment. Like, going grocery shopping or doing something for the house. Like, taking care of what we have. Um, It's such a practical way to show love for others. I think, in, like, its highest form or one of its highest forms. Um, So that's really cool. Um, So I kind of want to go back to when you were talking about reproductive health herbs that you worked with. Can you talk Uh a little bit about that? Like, what are some of those? How did you work with those? Um, How did that come to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit hesitant to just, like, name off herbs that are good for abortion or for birth control because I think that's, like, a very individual journey because bodies are all different. Sure. And um, I would say, like, um, I am – I have talked – I actually have a blog about that subject as well, and I have done a couple of podcast episodes about it, so if folks are more interested – Um, maybe they want to look towards those resources. Um, so I just want to say, first of all, you know, there's lots of resources about reproductive health in, um, for, for herbalism. And that's like a way that many of our ancestors, like were able to, um, control and, um, 
I hate to say manipulate, but that like that's the reality of like trying to end a unwanted pregnancy is is a, mani- a, a physical manipulation of the body. Um, that's you know something that's like long ancestral knowledge, and um, they you know that's that's something that like you know because of the current political climate like that's it's it's important for folks to know. So I'm not really sure like what I can say specifically about that because when I was in that time, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like I really knew what I was doing. And I want to be really clear about that. Like, I, that's another reason I like, don't really want to like talk about anything specific that I grew because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, this was like the very first thing that I did besides like lemon balm and lavender for like headaches and anxiety. Um, this was like the first thing that I was really studying in herbalism and it was, kind of like you know that's like a serious thing to be working with 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 plants and I was 25 and like really idealistic and um you know was growing a lot of plants that I like had a zine about reproductive health and I was like okay this is going to be really good for having to you know put uh George W. Bush was president at the time so it was like everybody was afraid of that And, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to like, uh, you know, grow all these plants that can help people have abortions. And I remember when I was like in this, uh, process of learning, you know, I thought about making a tincture and then I had like this realization that that wouldn't be ethically responsible. And I've had that realization like over and over again in my work, because when I had my garden with like 35 medicinal plants, I also, um, you know, had some plants that, um, can bring on a, a period, like they can start the, the menarche and, um, or the, you know, just like the menstrual cycle. So I feel like every time I've like started to work with those plants, I feel like this pushback from the plant about how I will use it. And, um, if I will make medicine with it, or if I will like help anyone with it. So, you know, it's it's like it's like a process of listening to the spirit message of the plant yeah i think that's what i really find so interesting about it um and i think that's why i was so interested in talking about you coming from like the lemon balm and then trying to figure out like how else you can use plants and then once you start working with them like actually listening with them and hearing what they have to say um so what other plants have you been working with that have really spoke to you and maybe like I don't know any anything about that um like more recently yeah, recently, yeah, anytime. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I moved to the desert last winter, and it's really hard to have anything grow here um, because not only do you have a lot of sun, not a lot of rain, you also have sand and rabbits and squirrels. Mm-hmm. So they will eat everything pretty much, which I learned. And, um, I ha- don't really have much of a garden anymore. I have a couple of plants. Um, the one plant that I have that's doing well that like I just used in one of my um, recipes is catnip. 
um, which is really cool. It's like on my porch in a shady spot and it's doing pretty well. And I've been able to like have some marigolds, although um, they have a lifespan of whenever I plant them to whenever a bird eats them. So (laughs) that, and that's fine. You know, I really made peace with that. I was like, these critters that live in the desert, it's like a really hard time, especially in the summer for them to find things to eat. So I'm like, all right, well, if I can enjoy these plants for a week or two and then their food for like a wild animal, okay, I accept that. I've made peace with that. So I think like, um, you know, as for, this has been a big transition for me because I became an herbalist or a plant witch because I um, became interested in growing these plants and was in relationship directly with them. It wasn't that I went to herb school. That's another thing. It's like, I know a lot of people that are like, I went to herb school, but they don't like have experience growing medicinal plants. Whereas for me, it was like all about growing medicinal plants. Um, So it's interesting. Like my, my relationship with herbalism has changed a lot because of that. And I've had to like question and go pretty deep within to be like, what's the future of my apothecary? Because for me, like ordering bulk herbs on the internet and making medicine is just not like something that resonates with me. Although that's what I'm doing because I have like formulas that people continue to order and like are getting sold out in shops. And I know they're really helping people and they help me. Um, So yeah, I do. I get the herbs from small farms, but I would say like, you know, it's beautiful to be able to like go and work with uh, like the really fertile soil and the really like, it's like a humid but cold climate in Northern California. It's like very foggy. There's not a lot of sun. So like you can't grow anything that needs a lot of sun. Um, and either, you know, mold is a problem, but I think mugwort is one that is always going to be really important to me. Um, and I'm growing a lot of that up North, uh, yarrow is something that, you know, I think a lot of people are connecting with right now. And I have really been connecting with that one more and more. I'm taking like an, the class I'm taking, it's with Rachel Burgos of Snake Root Apothecary. And it's about herbs and boundaries. And we've been doing like a lot of deep work with yarrow. Um, and yarrow, you know, it just grows wild everywhere. And um, in, in, you know, a lot of parts of the country, I think, but in the Pacific Northwest, definitely. And along like the seaside, um, kind of the like coastal ranges and stuff. Um, I think rose is something that I will continue to resonate with. Um, Hawthorne berry is one that I really like and enjoy. And I mean, I could go on and on. Okay, two more. Actually, I was going to do one, <laughs> but the period is two more. Nettles forever. I think nettles are just really important for anybody that's like interested in herbalism. Like it's kind of just like a catch-all for everything and then I would say like holy basil tulsi um is something that I take every day for like uh mood and energy regulation okay so my sister got some of that last herb you said and they said it was a hallucinogen is that true holy basil yeah no no okay are you thinking of are you thinking of mugwort I don't think so. I th- I thought it said it was like the main ingredient and she she was like, yeah, it says it's like this microdose of hallucinogenic tea. And I was like, I don't think so. 
Um, no, I, the only thing I could think of is like mugwort has been getting a lot of like, people are really into mugwort right now, which is cool. And they should be because it's a really amazing plant, but no, holy basil, um, it's like an adaptogenic herb. So it's, you know, those things are those, that family of herbs are really good for like leveling out your stress and, and like maintaining a good level of energy. So if you have any problems with like emotional regulation, brain function, et cetera, like um, Tulsi is just like really great for, um, for uh, you know, regular use. And you have to, a lot of times with the adaptogenic herbs, you have to take them regularly the same way as if you were like on an antidepressant. Mm. And also I want to say it's pronounced uh, Tulsi but my dog's name is Tulsi, so sometimes I <laughs> say the plant like my dog's name by accident. I like And I that. have, like, I have pronunciation problems. Like, I just, for whatever, like, my brain doesn't pronounce words right. So it's already hard that I, like, am, like, my dog's name is Tulsi, but the plant <laughs> is Tulsi. Um, so adaptogen, adaptogens, right? Am I saying uh-huh. it right? Um, I feel like I, I tried like four Sigmatic adaptogens and I had like the biggest panic attack of my life. Um, what kind of, what was it? Have you heard of like four Sigmatic? It's like a mushroom mix. They're like selling it all on the podcast and I don't know. So it's like like reishi? I, th- or, um, I think it was, like, lion's mane and, okay. like, a lot of different... I feel like it was a little bit of everything, which was exactly was not what I needed. Um, yeah, I had bad experience. I've, you know, I have... I limit my intake of, like, the mushroom forms of adaptogens because I have had that similar experience. Like, for me... Um, I, if like, you know, like St. John's wort, I don't, I don't mess with that that much. I do love St. John's wort, but it's very, I take it in moderation if I take it at all, because any, for me, it depends on your disposition, but if you're like apt to any type of like high anxiety, like rage or anger or like hypomania, there's like a lot of like plants that can set that off, including St. John's wort. I found that with reishi, although now I take one that, you know, a tonic that has both St. John's wort and reishi in it and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, that's why, why I mean about like, it's really hard to be like, this herb is good for this because it's a process of learning what works for you. And there's all different kinds of bodies have different experiences with different plants. Yeah, totally. And your body is different at one point, and then it changes, and then something's, you know, that once didn't work, now works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally yeah. can see that. So, can we talk a little bit about, like, mental health and herbs? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, like, any insights on that journey? Uh, you talked about, like, being on... Well, you were put on pharmaceuticals at a young age? Yeah, I've been on... Yeah, I was put on pharmaceuticals when I was, like, in junior high. Um, Me and too. I, was I on, relate. 
Yeah. Um, and then I ha- was on them through high school. And then, like, throughout my adult life, it's kind of been, like, off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I feel about it is, like, um, I have no judgment towards whatever people want to do. And whatever you need to do to, like, get by in this world, if it doesn't hurt anybody, like, do it. Um, but... You know, I think a lot of folks deal with their, you know, I, I don't know, like the, all of my opinions that I say, like, I'm a very fluid person. This is like subject to change. Everything I say is subject to change. And that's why I try not to have hard stances, hard opinions, or like hard identities about anything, because I recognize my ability to uh, evolve. And I believe in everybody else's and that like very much informs my work as an herbalist and a witch and a tarot reader It's just like that we're all in, in constant evolution and, and we need to continue. And if we um, are not evolving, then we're, we may be stuck. Um, but I think like, one thing about pharmaceuticals, and again, no judgment to anyone that takes them or has taken them. Um, because sometimes we're in a situation where we need that level up. We need that. It's like a rope being thrown into a dark well that we're stuck in and we need to be pulled out of that in order to get our life together. Or maybe you work a nine to five job and you have to maintain a level of stability. But I do think like a lot of like the mental health stuff that gets diagnosed now, um, it's really based in like learned behavior from trauma. And, um, by taking like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety, like that might be really helpful, but also like most of the time it doesn't work forever. And, um, I don't think plant medicine would either. I think that it's about like accepting and like leaning into the fact that we're in constant evolution and also that like life is full of suffering and that we, you know, we live in a world and this goes back to how I feel about the way that we're really fractured um, and individualistic, like we want things to be okay. And we don't want to look at the hard stuff. And one of the issues I have with like some, uh, pharmaceutical drugs is like, they block that process of like looking at the hard stuff and working through it naturally, because it's just like, Oh, I'm fine. But you know, there might be some like deep buried stuff there that needs to be resolved in order for your evolution and in order for the evolution of humankind Um, because it is a painful world. We're living in like a really deeply painful world. And if we don't feel that it doesn't change. Ooh, yeah. I think like really making sure that I got on medicine. It's been like maybe a year now and I had like gotten on it. I was on a lot of it as a teenager and then I got off it and I felt great for like 10 years and I recently got back on it. Uh And I feel like that's such a great reminder that even if you're feeling better with the help of any aid that you're using, it's still important to do the work of what's going on underneath that caused the imbalance in your body. If there's, it's so hard too, because it's like, I always think also, like, am I just being like mean to myself that like, am I not like fully accepting who I am? That it's like, do I, do I just have like a chemical imbalance or 
it's probably more of a bigger thing of these traumas and, and a chemical imbalance and making sure that you take in account for everything and like really what can I do what can I look at um it like it makes me think of the, like the alcoholics prayer like um paying attention to what I can control and letting go of what I can't but making sure you're kind you're always doing that check-in with yourself to seeing like where you are and what you need and how you're really um yeah like really also I don't know I'm kind of rambling but like really using once you're feeling better to like then go in because your body can kind of like take the the healing mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I think like something that I've been reflecting and especially we just got out of this like crazy eclipse season but we're really not out of it like we're kind of still in the shadow period um something I've been thinking about like is my relationship to like drugs and alcohol and you know I'm not 100% sober um but I'm like more sober than I've ever been since I was you know a very young being Mm -hmm. and I think that makes a big difference too I think it makes a really big difference. Like, if you are drinking regularly, if you're using drugs regularly, and there's no stigma about that because, like, as someone who's worked in harm reduction, like, my philosophy is, like, people do what they need to do to survive. Like, this is a really deeply painful world, and there's a lot of oppression and violence. And, you know, like, I spent a lot of time last night, like, watching the news about, like, stuff happening at the border and about the president, you know, enacting, like, racist threats against, like, women of color Congress people, you know, and I spent a lot of time, and, like, you know, that's just, to think about that and be present with that. It's hard. It's really hard. So it's, like, if, you know, and people that have been through, you know, working in harm reduction, working with unhoused people, with people that, you know, I've, I've, you know, people that have been deported, been through deportations, who have um, migrated from countries that were incredibly unsafe. I, you know, the level of trauma that people go through in this, in this lifetime on so, you know, like I consider myself, I have like a decent amount of trauma. Like I've been through a lot of shit in my life. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. I think I am, Of course, definitely. Okay, okay. (laughs) So I've been through shit in my life, but like I also know people that it's like my shit doesn't hold a candle to theirs. And so therefore, if you want to, if you're using, you know, if you're taking Zoloft or if you're using opiates, you know, recreationally, like whatever you need to do to be alive in this world, I think that we need to have compassion and like lessen stigma. Um, so I am not about stigmatizing anyone for what they do, but I also believe again in like this idea that we are, you know, in the end, like for our own evolution, we have to look at our cycles and like we all, you know, a lot of us do things to numb out, whether that is getting really, really drunk, um, you know, shooting up heroin or like taking Zoloft, you know, like whatever it is that you do to like get through the world um, and get through this life and like deal with trauma. Um, that's what you're doing and that's where you're at and I support you, you know, but like I also am like, let's think about ways that we can evolve also. Yeah. How have, um, 
What have been some ways that you've helped heal your own trauma? I mean, I think that's like a lifetime thing. Totally. So <laughs> that was I, a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not, and that, but that's like one of the things. It's like, you know, I had um, a couple of really, 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 really hard years. And um, then I took an astrology, excuse me, I'm like burping. Um, and then I took an astrology class and like, I did some, you know, started deepening my astrology practices like three years, you know, three or maybe, you know, four years ago now. And my uh, teacher was like, well, you know, you have a really difficult chart. Like that's when I started learning. She was like, I mean, Pluto is just like super centered. You're like, you know, I was going through like six, Pluto was like aspecting like six of my planets at that time. And I was just like, okay, so like, there's a reason, you know, there, you know, and, and my teacher was like, but you have the ability to transform, like you have the ability to like, be who are, you know, whoever you want, and like, do uh, use this energy for amazing things, or you can use it to self destruct. And I think like, in this period of my life, where just I had a lot of really difficult things come up, it was like a wake up call from Pluto, my friend Pluto, being like, you're not on your aligned path and you're going to die because this is like so unhappy. This isn't what your ancestors wanted. Like you somehow because of like trauma that happened because of, you know, mental health stuff, because of whatever you like ended up on this in, you know, wrong path. You're like, you're not on the right path right now and you're not being true to yourself and you've been numbing out with like drugs and alcohol and, other you know self-harming behaviors for so long and then like being a workaholic Capricorn who's like I'm have an amazing resume everyone like look at my resume but like I'm blacked out half the time you know mm -hmm. um and uh I just kind of like got to this point and that was like when I started Rise Up Good Witch really it was like be when I like was able to finally like step into myself I think and Part of that was recognizing process, you know, because again, going back to like the double card and the Capricorn archetype, there's like a real need for success in like a very materialistic um, and socially driven way and also in a very like image obsessed way. Mm -hmm. And those things are hindrances to like actual enlightenment and self-care. And um, those are just things like for me that I had to like tear away. So I'm in my double card here this year. Me too. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So it's been like um, a process. And the other thing about recognizing that is like, it's not like I think at the end of this year, like my process of working through this shit is going to be over. It's not like it's a constant. And that's like another issue that I have with like Western medicine is like, okay, we're going to do this and you're better. The end. And that's just not reality. The reality is it's like maintenance all the time yes. on ourselves, on our mental health, on our physical health, on our communication, you know, also unlearning things like systems of oppression, which exists inside of ourselves. Like, you know, as a white person, like being ingrained with white supremacist values, you know, these are things that we like constantly need to be doing upkeep on forever. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like my devil card year has really been learning to trust my intuition. Um, uh -huh. 
And I think especially when it comes into all of those things and definitely not because I have a lot of those same Capricorn structures deeply embedded of if I'm not producing or if I'm not working, then I'm not of value. Um, And if I'm not like feeding this system and not in line with this system, then I'm not valued as a person. Um, And I think we just like play into them without conscious thought. And I think really like tuning into our intuition and really, like you said, like aligning ourselves with our true values is when we can really um, create change within ourselves and reflect it out. Uh-huh. Um, so what do you think about Pluto in relation to the judgment card? I was thinking about that the other day. Do you have any insights? You know, that's interesting because like I, when I think about judgment, when it comes up to me, you know, for like in a client reading, because it's like the second to the last card in the major arcana and it's after the sun, it's sort of like, okay, so this chapter is going to end. Like, let's talk about what needs to be called out, what needs to be changed, and what needs to be, like, let go of before this new chapter comes along, because otherwise you're going to bring this shit into your next chapter. Mm. And um, how it relates to Pluto is, you know, I think, like, for me, when I am working with clients, and I, I like to know where people, you know, Pluto is, like, my main area of interest with astrology. Like, I'm not, like, a full-blown astrologer. I'm on the road. But I do um, like natal chart analysis in my client work um, with the tarot stuff, with like tarot readings. Um, And I think like I always want to see where someone's Pluto is and how it or how like transiting Pluto is affecting them at that moment. Because I think Pluto is like a wake up call. Um, I think Pluto also stores a lot of information about intergenerational trauma. Sometimes I say like I was just talking to my friend who's like a really good like he's like an amazing I feel like he's an amazing astrologer I don't think he would say that about himself but like he's like studying with Stephen Forrest so I like I was saying like I feel like when I look at Pluto I think that's like our past generation's chirons (laughs) Mm -hmm. like we have our chiron and that's kind of like our new trauma that's like the stuff that's like of our lifetime and Pluto is sort of like that's all the shit that was passed down to us because that's everybody else's Chiron. I don't know. That's just, like, kind of how I feel about it. But um, I guess, like, if, yeah. So the, then I think that it's, like, a awakener or it, like, causes, you know, like, the judgment card, it causes or it, it calls into question how real you're being with yourself and how and what needs to be addressed that you've, you know, thus far. It's kind of like a, you know, I come from an academic background of, like, research and analysis so I think judgment would almost be like it's like a seven of pentacles vibe it's like let's reassess what worked and what didn't work but judgment is a little bit more harsh because it's more about you (laughs) and your process it's not so much about like let's like like let's look at what's working and not working in like how I just laid out my office it's like let's looking about let's look at what's working and not working about how I like communicate with other people and and show up in my community yes I feel that so hard. 
that's a it's a hard card. It feels yeah. like it's really like coming down to call you out on your shit. Those little yeah. angels with the horn just like blaring I, yeah. it in your ear. <laughs> Yeah, and then, yeah, the horn, like, do-do-do, it's like, this is it, like, what are we announcing about you to everybody? Um, But then I also think judgment's sort of like, you can choose to, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, like, there's this quote, and I don't remember who said it, and I don't remember exactly what it is, but I saw it, it was something like, nothing that I own about myself can be used against me. So, you know, that's a big centerpiece to my work because, like, I've been a really problematic person in my life and I probably still am sometimes because I'm on a big journey and I have the astrology chart of a dictator. So it's like (laughs) I've had a lot to unlearn and, like, I continue to have a lot to unlearn, but I don't think that I'm alone in that. I think most of us have that darkness. Like, that's the cat, you know, the devil card coming through. It's like... But how do you own that? Like, are you able to be like, hey, I make mistakes sometimes. And like, and that goes back, you know, we have like a culture, especially for white folks of like defensiveness and like not wanting people to see these dark parts of ourselves. But then it's like, you know, I think there is an element. I mean, I, that's like kind of how I feel. I could apply that to like many, many cards in tarot. But I also think like judgment can be about that. It's like maybe you need to just be the one that addresses your own behavior before someone else does. Or like, you know, when people when people are like, you know, trying to hide like mistakes they've made, why don't you just like own your mistake and talk about it and be public about it so other people can learn from your process? Oh, yes. I feel like I finally got the judgment card. I got it reversed the other day, and I feel like I got it in association with me ending a pattern of thinking about myself before thinking about other people. And I finally made like a very real change to show up Um in a way for others and I think getting that card was like ah you've transformed it like good job we're not gonna take this forward any longer you can finally like move up in this cycle or not move up but like transform through it so that was yeah I don't really read reversals anymore um but yeah like that's you know, and, and I think it's all about intuition, too. So, like, if you felt that, it's probably because your intuition is telling you that, that's, you know, that that's your truth. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, what's your rising sign that you have Pluto in? Um, Libra. Nice. So, do you, yeah, like, I, do you feel like a Libra? Yes, very much. I have a Libra stellium. I have a lot of Libra in my chart. Um... And, uh, well, you know, I, I don't do whole sign. So, um, I have like Scorpio also in my first house, but, um, yeah, I really relate to being a Libra because I can be like, you know, I struggle with like the dark, the dark side of Libra, I think is like people pleasing and like, you know, having a hard time committing to things because you're like, want to make everybody happy. Like there's like that real kind of struggle I think with Libras but I also feel like Libras have this like charisma and they and which you know like that's not I don't I'm not trying to like toot my own horn but like I can I am pretty extroverted despite all the things I say about being like individualistic and like 
and like, you know, not being like a, like, I'm not a super like romantic person. Like I don't really have like romantic partners and stuff. Like I just like, that's not the way that I connect with other humans. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really identify with Libra because I feel like I wouldn't be able to like connect my message and share it so much. Like if I was just like all Capricorn, because I would just be like working all the time. Um, I've been feeling lately like in your first house, like whatever elements you have in that house is kind of like what I've been like relating it to like a court card, like what court card you kind of embody. Um, So I have Scorpio and Sagittarius, so I feel very like Queen of Wands I'm coming to terms with. Um, and I feel like with you, you give me definitely, um, like Queen of Swords vibes, like yeah. the air and water then, which would yeah. be in yours, which I definitely feel. So that's kind of been something I've been playing with. That's kind of fun. Oh, fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like Queen of Swords is a, a really good card. Like I would love to embody that energy. I think... Maybe Queen of Swords is a little bit better with boundaries than a Libra is. Yeah. Because like, I don't feel like Lib- we're like Libras are very good with boundaries. Yeah, I guess you're trying to like learn that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So what made you move to the desert? Um, so it's a lot of things. I think like um, I like warm, dry weather. It's, like, good for my health. I have some chronic pain issues, and being in, like, a warmer climate is good, although it's, like, the end of July, and it's, like, pretty hot right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, when I moved here, everybody was, like, it's, like, just like the winter in the, you know, it's, like, the winter and somewhere that snows, in, but when in the desert in the summer because you can't go out, and it is kind of like that. It's, like, I did go to the park last night and walk around, Um, but it was like a cool, it wasn't as hot and like, as it was at night. So, I mean, when I'm like, it's not as hot, I'm like, it's 90 degrees at 7 PM. So it's still really hot, but it's like, it's like more doable to be outside. Um, but I, you know, it's, it does have a lot to do with like economic issues. Um, I've lived most of my life in the Pacific Northwest between like Northern California, like where I'm from. And I like moved back there for four years and Portland, Oregon. I have lived, like, I did live in Mexico for two and a half years, which, you know, was, like, warm weather, and that was good, but, um, it's really hard in California to, like, live. It's, it's, like, very hard to afford rent, and, um, it's, like, a lot cheaper to live in the desert, and I needed something different than Northern California, Um, there's like a lot of changes happening in rural, you know, the Emerald Triangle with like cannabis legalization. It's like a different world for everybody up there now. Like it used to be really easy to make money like under the table. Um, and it's not anymore. And, um, I am now like doing herbalism and tarot full time. That's my job. And, um, when you're in an economy where like people don't have any disposable money because all their income was just like ripped out from under them. Um, it's like, you can't do, you know, you can't, you can't survive as a small business. So I think like, you know, there's like many parts to it, but I've been wanting to live in the desert. 
Um, I found like a really cool community here. I've like connected with a lot of really cool people. I'm close to LA, so I can go to LA and work. Um, and there's a lot of like tourism here and people are like looking for, um, you know, they're looking for an experience. People come to Joshua Tree because they're looking for an experience, like a spiritual experience. So like being a tarot reader here is, um, I mean, I, I don't want to be like, it's all about like, it's not like my decisions aren't a hundred percent lucrative, but when you're a working class person in late stage capitalism, that's like a thing that you constantly have to consider. Totally. So yeah, I mean, the desert's interesting. It's also like a really great place to come to like deepen your own intuition. It's like a no bullshit place. The sky is always, you know, you can see whatever cycle the moon's in like super clearly because the sky is like rarely cloudy. It's like always just like, boom, there's the moon. So it's like, since I've been here, it's been like such a connection to the moon and like just, I've learned so much about the way that, you know, when we talk about like mental health, if I had known when I was a little kid, like if I had been grown up, you know, with like this idea of like, this is the way that you um, might be affected by the moon. Like my life would be so different now. And I only fully have like grasped that since living in the desert because the moon is just like, bam, it's like always right there. Yeah. It's so, so in your face then. Yeah. So the thing that I, you know, I, I love, I love living here for all of those reasons. Um, the heat's pretty oppressive right now. Um, a lot of people I know are gone or, will be leaving um until the fall because of the heat but um I've always been someone that likes to live in different places and move and I think yeah a big part of it was like the, the the economy it was like too hard to afford to live up there it's really depressing to live somewhere where it's like gray and foggy eight months out of the year for me too um but yeah it's an interesting place to live for sure yeah. But I miss gardening. I miss having soil in the ground. Yes. Do you still feel like that connectedness to, I guess, the elements of the earth? Or do you kind of like, are you experiencing it in a new way? Like maybe through like the sense of sight through the moon and like taking it in? Um, That's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's like... Yeah, I mean, because I can't. I've tried. I know some people garden out here. Um, you know, like I said, it's really hard with, like, the the little animals, and it's hard with it being sand. So, no, it's not the same as it was when I lived in Humboldt. It was, like, there it was, you know, great soil, and I would just, like, plant things and work with the earth all the time. So it's not the same. But, yeah, I do think it's, like, more, like, sky and moon connection. Um and maybe even like more connection to body because it's been, it was so cold and now it's so hot and, um, it's quiet. It's really quiet. And, uh, you know, a lot of time alone. I spend a lot of time alone here because there's not, I was just talking to a friend that lives here. I mean, I have like friends that live here. I know I have a community here, but it's like, it's such an isolated place to live. There's not a lot of community places to gather. And then when it's hot, nobody, you know, yeah, you don't really go, go anywhere. So it's yeah. like, people are just like in their house and everybody's like 20 miles away from each other, like in down some dirt road, 
you know, mm-hmm. like in the middle of no, you know, it's just very rural, very isolated. So there's just like this deep ability to connect with oneself and with the body. Yes. Which is like, I'm from a rural place. And that like goes back to one of your first questions. Like I want, I didn't want to live in a rural place when I was a kid. I was like, I feel like I'm different than everybody. I'm getting bullied really badly. Both my parents are from Southern California. They like wanted to go up there, but it was like, yeah, like I always wanted to go to a city when I was a little kid. And now I can't be really in cities because it's as an empath and like someone with like psychic downloads and abilities, it's just like too much, too much stimulation, too much, too much stuff coming through to be in a city. Um, Whereas like here, it's just like quiet. There's like nothing going on. It's just like the moon and the stars and the heat. And in the winter, the cold. Yeah, I I totally feel that with, like, excess stimulation is, like, so aggravating. Not but I think, like, emotionally aggravating. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, I mean, it sounds lovely. It sounds like, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, right? Totally. Um, So, do you get to go home a lot? Or do you, every so often, you said your dad was, like, growing some of your plants. How far yeah. is it? Is it a far drive? Yes. It's really far. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, Cal- I don't know which state are you in. I'm in, I'm really close to D.C., so I'm on the East okay. Coast. Yeah. So, y'all, you know, I just had this friend in L.A. It's funny because I had this friend in L.A. Or, no, she's from D.C. She lives in D.C. Or, no, she lives in Baltimore, and yeah. she was in LA for the weekend and was like, come visit me. And I went and I drove to LA. It's like two hours to drive to LA. And then she was like, I'm going to go to Santa Monica. And I was like, you know, that's like another hour. And she didn't get it. And <laughs> there's like a joke about how people in the East Coast just like don't understand California and how fought, how long it takes to get everywhere. Yeah. Because um, it'll, on you know, in Los Angeles especially, it's like you look at a map and you're like, oh, it's 15 miles. But like with traffic, yeah. it takes forever. Um, but like basically Joshua Tree and like Arcadia Eureka, where I'm from, are like almost the opposite ends of California. Yeah. So it's not close. It's like right. a 12, it's, you know, it takes all day if I do it in a day. And I mean, like if I leave at 5 a.m., I could may, may, you know, get there maybe by 9 p.m. Uh. And that's pretty straight through. Um, so yeah, I mean... I went in March and I went in June and I'm hoping to go next month and then I probably won't go back because it's going to be bad weather up there. I won't go back until next spring, but it's, I have, um, I also have a lot of feelings about this because I'm burning so much fossil fuel, like going Mm -hmm. up there. Like I'm like, Oh, I'm like planting things up here and I'm like using the plants that I grew to make my medicine because that's important to me it's like really important to me when I make medicine to have a relationship from like the plant's life to like the creation of what I made and so but then I'm like but I'm driving so much and um that's something to take into consideration but it is just like economically like if I were to have you know a, a house that had a beautiful garden um probably couldn't do it in California because everywhere where there's like good soil and nice land that's like close to anything is going to be way out of my price range. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what was I gonna say? It was on the tip of, oh, do you, so do you, you were talking a little bit about cannabis and how it kind of like changed the landscape of where you grew up and your, you know, the business around that. Do you use cannabis? Is that something that you're, I guess, familiar with or what's your experience been with it? How's it changed with what's going on and legalization? Yeah, that's definitely, like, a really big question, but I think, like, yes, I use cannabis slash I smoke weed, um, and I think, like, I try to not, you know, I try to, like, watch it because it's, at this point, it's pretty much the only, like, substance that I use. I mean, I drink occasionally, but I, because I have a long history of, like, numbing out with drugs and alcohol, I have to be really mindful of my cannabis use, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm from the Emerald Triangle. That's where I grew up. Um, we produce uh, the majority of, we cultivate like the majority of the world's um, cannabis. And for many years, it was a multi-billion dollar underground industry. So, um, and I worked it, you know, I've worked in it off and on for years, like on the side. At, like I never was really like full-time in it, it because, you know, I always had like, human rights, social service, nonprofit work, which doesn't pay enough to live on. So you do stuff on the side in the cannabis industry and the money was really good. And, um, since legalization that has completely collapsed, um, it's left people who, you know, I have friends who are like in their mid thirties and they never had other jobs. They only worked in the cannabis industry. So like, not only did they have this experience of having made millions, but now suddenly they're exiting this, this dying market that's now being taken over by like people from LA. And, uh, they now are like, I don't have any marketable skills. Like, what am I going to do? Except maybe like apply to work at like somebody from LA who opened like a, a shop where they're going to make $14 an hour or something. So a lot of people are just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. So I actually, I mean, this is like a whole complicated thing. And I've thought about doing a podcast about it myself. um, Because I think a lot of people that aren't from where I'm from, like with my context, they don't understand how harmful legalization was. Because the reason a lot of people wanted it legalized was for decriminalization and to like fight the prison industrial complex. And that absolutely has not happened. Instead, what happened is it's just the same as, like, you know, what happens to small farmers in Latin America, basically. It's just, like, they regulate the shit out of small businesses so that they can no longer exist, and they corporatize the product, and the people of color and poor people that are in jail because they had no other way to make money remain in jail or in prison. So it's, like... That, you know, like people, you know, I voted for, for legalization. So it's like because of, you know, I think like I would think differently now. But um, yeah, it's just like it became it was just it only was legalized so that the government could start making that money. And then rich people could start making that money. It wasn't legalized to help anybody. Like people are still getting arrested. People are still dying, getting murdered. Like those rates of murder have not gone down. Um and then like rates of incarceration have not gone down. Instead, what's going, you know, down is like working class people and like long-term old school farmers being able to support themselves. And it's all that money is going to people who are already rich. 
Man, it's so complicated. Yep. <laughs> There's so much bullshit woven in in there. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's so sad because, you know, I'm sure legalizing it has helped some people, but also seeing the impact to the small farmers and it's hard. It's hard when it's just corporations come in and it, you know, there should still be opportunity for the farmers who were there and that was their home and that was their livelihood. Um, It's really sad to hear that. Yeah, it is. And it's like just kind of the way that the world is right now in late stage capitalism with globalization, with the prison industrial complex. It's just like on par with all of that. So it's not super surprising. That's true. Still disappointing nonetheless. Definitely. (laughs) Um, so what is your favorite card in tarot? Do you have one? Wow. <laughs> that I mean, was kind of a like, left turn, but. Yeah. Well, do you mean like in my life, like over the course of my life or, um, do you mean like now or like, you know, because it's changed, you know, I don't know if I have a favorite card or like one that's resonating a lot. That sounds good. One that's resonating a lot right now. Okay. Um, it's funny. Like, one that I've been getting a lot. Well, I've been, um, for myself, I've been pulling the star a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say that's my favorite card. I think the star is something that I've been connecting with more than ever before. And it's, it really speaks to all this stuff that I'm talking about, because like I said, like I have like a very, if people don't already know my work and if they can't tell by this interview, like I am an anarchist, I'm like super anti-state and like, I feel that because of, it's not just like something I came to lightly. It's not just because I'm like, oh, it sounds cool to say that it's like years and years of working in the nonprofit system of working in cannabis of like traveling living in latin america of like working in harm reduction of like going through my own trauma of being a survivor of sexualized violence like being a queer person like all these different intersections in my life have like led me to be like government is terrible you know at least government as it is and as it stands is incredibly corrupt and terrible and when we look at the star card you know there's so many messages within that but the star card is basically to me like about a rebuilding and identifying your community and identifying what is safe to speak on and what is you need to keep safe kind of like what needs to be um what needs to be um What's the word I'm looking for? Like, revolutionized. Sorry, go ahead. Revolutionized. No, no, more like what needs to be like kept safe or like guarded or like Mm. kept inside. And then like what needs to be, um, what needs to be like cultivated. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, I have a bunch of teachings about, like I've taught workshops about the sun, moon, and star. And this is like before, like I had, like I'm, you know, I've been doing tarot for like more than 10 years now. 
but I continue to have these like awakening moments with like individual cards. And I imagine that that will happen for the rest of my life basically. Um, but the star has been like showing up for me a lot since I moved to the desert because it's been like a big support in reminding me to keep moving forward and like keep excavating kind of like the unseen things in like the rubble of like what didn't work in the rubble of grief and you know, the, the sadness of like the world just like not really being the way that I had hoped it would in younger years. And, um, it's, uh, it also, I think the star, because it's like this, a star is a sun. And to me, like the sun is like the ultimate sign that like you have like triumphed over like these really dark places. And now you're strong enough and your cup is full enough to like give that energy back to your community or to others. Like you're in this space where you're able to share your story and help others. But like the star isn't there yet. It's that building up to that place. But because that star is the, it is the sun, but it's a sun that's very, very far away. And like, what are you doing to like cultivate and heal that? It's kind of like the short skimming the surface on how I feel about the star. Ooh, I like that. I've never thought about that. I like the idea of the excavating, um, like trying to find what still works amongst the rubble. That's a beautiful analogy. Yeah, and I'm actually, a project that I'm working on, I, last year I taught a workshop called Tarot Storytelling, and I have a segment on my podcast called Tarot Storytelling, but I had a workbook. I still have the workbook, and I've been reworking it. I took it off my site. It's, like, no longer available for download anymore, Um, but I'm reworking it to, like, public, you know, to, like, actually present it as, like, a physical workbook that people can use, and it's kind of because July's been, my goal was, like, I'm going to work on that all month in July, and the eclipse season and all the retrogrades like just didn't have that in the cards for me. So, you know, I, my original plan was to have it out in September, but it might be more like early next year, but maybe still September. I don't know. Um, but I definitely like, it's going to be a lot more of an expanded perspective on like the star and its relation with the sun and the moon in that. That's cool that during like this retrograde, you're reworking a past workbook. That seems very appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I was, I wanted to, but the energy's been moving really slow, and I haven't invested as much time as I wanted to in it. That's okay. That's Capricorn. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like we're we're moving exactly as fast as we need to. I always think yeah. about that with like the. Um, the Knight of Pentacles and how it's like that cardinal earth and Mm -hmm. even though he's like standing still he's still moving like Uh. it's happening even if we feel like we're like not moving fast enough or we're going backwards it's like happening perfectly yeah I love the Knight of Pentacles I think it's a great energy because the other knights can be way too like impulsive to me but the knight of pentacles is very uh resilient meticulous like a virgo energy almost yes do you can you leave us with any thoughts on the eclipse um maybe any ideas you have about it how maybe tips for anybody working through stuff I mean, I think, like, something I've learned through the eclipse, like, both through my own experience and just, like, reflecting on the work of 
other astrologers and witches and like you know holding deep space and conversation with like loved ones is like eclipse season is not about our rituals it's not about the work that we're doing um it's not about manifestation it's like wheel of fortune energy it's like bringing us what we've been working for and like shining the light on those you know maybe some of the things almost like judgment you know like we're talking about judgment it's shining a light on the things that um still need to be you know kind of like our karmic result like the karmic patterns the cycles so i would say resilience is great take your adaptogen herbs if that's part of your practice or take your meds if that's part of your practice and just sit wait this one out maybe sit this one out if you need to nice well thank you so much for talking i feel like we've covered so much that was very insightful and i love chatting with you um can you tell everyone where they can find you and all the different projects that you have your podcast yeah definitely so people can find out about my apothecary and working with me um as a tarot client or astrology like tarot astrology client um www.riseupgoodwitch.com um i have a patreon where i share um at least once weekly like a pretty deep share on you know some witchy subject uh i usually hashtag it tarot tuesday or witchy wednesday this week it's going to be tarot tuesday um which i'm working on after this interview but um that also has um discount codes for folks that are like more regular tarot clients or like a discount code for the apothecary and it supports my work on the podcast which is the rise of good witch podcast um and you can find that i'm only on itunes and soundcloud i know there's like other you know forums but that's just where i'm at i'm going to just stick with those two so you can check out the rise of good witch podcast um and i'm on instagram um at rise up good witch <laughs> yay thank you so much karina yeah thanks anna this has been really fun it's nice to connect with you that was so fun i hope you have a great rest of your day you too bye bye Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with Karina. Definitely follow their Instagram, Rise Up Good Witch. Follow their podcast, Rise Up Good Witch. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked this podcast, please rate it five stars and write a little nice something. That would sincerely make my day and help other people find the podcast. And that's all I got for you guys. I love you a lot. I'm sending you so much love and smoochies. Mwah.